0: Amen. <laughs> it worked. I went to a church one time. I didn't know what they were doing, but they did that and everybody sat down. So, <laughs> it worked. Hey guys, John chapter 7 verse 37. We're continuing in on our pa- on our journey through the gospel according to John. It's been really awesome. Today we're going to look at two two chunk two small passages, two things really that Jesus makes a statement about about himself. Jesus says these two things. They're not connected right next to each other, but what we're going to see is in real life, if it was playing out, they actually are. Jesus makes one statement, and he's, and he's in the crowd, and the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and everybody starts grumbling, and they start kind of pe- peppering him with questions. He answers them, and then he actually uh, he says the second statement. And, and, and they all take place in a context that if you don't understand the context if you don't understand what it was actually like to be there, you probably are going to miss out on most of the significance of what he says. So we're going to, I'm just giving you a heads up. We're going to be kind of talking about some Jewish history today. We're going to try to, we're, we're literally in the next probably 15 to 20 minutes. I want to I help you guys be there. My, my goal is to help you guys be there uh, in first century Jerusalem, in the temple, in the court of women, now, if you, ever, if you were to look at, a, if you Google uh, the, the temple, you'd see that there's lots of courts. There's lots of places. And, and as the closest you could get to the center, the closest was the Holy of Holies. And, and on, only, only the high priest could go there only once a year. And then as you go out, um, it would get more and more uh, uh, inclusive. More and more people could go there. The Court of Women was the closest that everybody could come. That was Jewish. Everybody was, was welcome there. And so when they would have these feasts, most of the celebration would take place in this place because it was inclusive to everybody. There was 14, uh, if you walked in there, was, it was a very large, you know, room. And it, it was, there was 14 kind of buckets. They, they looked like ram's horns. And there was where you would give your, your offering. There's a cool, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he's, he's watching these 14. And there's this one woman, she's poor, and she gives in the equivalent of one penny. Right? And then this, this like, uh, uh, rich businessman pulls out this huge wad, kind of waves it around as a wave offering to show how cool he is, and puts it in. And Jesus goes, who gave more? Right, And, and he wants to show that she just gave a little bit, but she gave everything that she had. It was, it was, it was, the, it was the heart behind it that he cared about. And that all happened in this, in this same court of women. And that's where we're going to find Jesus at today. So let's start in John chapter 7. And and look in in, uh, in verse thirty-seven. Now 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 it's been about two and a half years of Jesus's ministry. We're now at the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths in Hebrew, it's Sukkot, right? And that's what that's what brings him to Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. They've been there all week. We've been kind of studying that. Um, and and, it, and and particularly if it's only been two and a half years, and and Jesus's ministry was only a little over three years. In about six months from this moment, he's going he's to enter into Jerusalem again, and it's going to be the Passover, and it's when he's going to be crucified. So we're getting very close, actually, to the end of his ministry. And it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day. I want to stop right there, because if you miss this first line, you miss everything. It's the first day of what's called the feast. The feast to the Jewish people in his time is a reference to Sukkot. There were seven feasts, and, and then they'd added another one, Hanukkah, from the, Revo- the, the Maccabean Revolution that wasn't from the Scriptures. But all these feasts, right, they took place as a rhythm, and the greatest of all the feasts was considered the Feast Sukkot. And we see that in the Scriptures, in the Chronicles, actually um, um, David's son, David's son became the king, and he refers to it as the feast. So all the way back from the king of da- time of King David, that's how the Jewish people referred to this feast. This feast had great significance. If you have your notes, we can look at some of these things. The first thing I would say is this. The feast is the setting for what, for what, for the, and the context for, for these words that Jesus is saying. And, and the first thing we see is that the feast was God's idea. The feast was God's idea. Matter of fact, way back in the Torah, God gave the Torah to Moses. He gave the law to Moses. In, in Leviticus chapter 23, it, it describes all of the feasts. God gives them a, a description. This is uh, once a year. I want you to celebrate like this, the Feast of Sukkot. And, and, he, and he talked about a few symbols in there. The first one was that I want you guys during this week, I want you to live in Sukkahs those are tents i want you for the whole week you would they, would they would every all the jewish people would construct these temple these like imagine imagine an easy up made like of just natural resources twigs and trees and, 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 and palm branches was was a big symbol and they would and would they would live in these right in sukkahs. Right. And it was so that they would remember back in the time when they were traveling through the wilderness, that they lived in tents and specifically that that when they lived in tents, that God lived there with them, that God was with them. That's why in John chapter one, it describes about Jesus. It says, and then Jesus dwelt among them. The literal translation would be this. Jesus sukkahed among them. He tabernacled with us. He dwelt among us. He, he, in, in our normal everyday lives where we, where we travel and we have tents or houses, God is there with you every day. It's a remembrance. Once a year you would remember that God is always with you in the small, frail element like, like, like your tent, right? The sukkah. The other thing they would have as a symbol was a thing called the lulav lulav means palm branch. And Sukkot, they would, they would have these, make these palm branches, and they would actually decorate them with myrtle branches and from, uh, uh, branches from citrus trees, and they would kind of decorate them together. And they had these palm branches, and those become very important for Sukkot. And those are all God's idea. He wanted them to remember these symbols. In Numbers chapter 29, another book in the to- Torah, he describes um, the sacrifices of all the feasts. For, for Sukkot, for the Feast of Tabernacles, he, it would said um, you, would, you would sacrifice uh, 13 bulls on the first day. If you're reading Numbers 29, it's one of those ones which is a hard chapter to read. It goes 13 bulls on the first day, 12 bulls on the second day. Every day they would have one less bull until the last day was seven bulls. And you would just read that if, you're, if you don't know and you, would, and you weren't Jewish and you would go, wow, a lot of sacrifices, what is up with all that? It's very significant. 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, carry the two, equals 70. For Jewish people, they believe 70, and 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 this is from Scripture, 70 is always a reference to all of the nations. They got this from Genesis chapter 10. After the flood, he describes, he names all of the generations, and there's 70. 70, if you're Jewish, If you heard 70, it means all the nations. That's why Sukkot, at the time when Jesus was celebrating it, one of its other nicknames was the Feast of Ingatherings. They believed that one day in the Messianic age, this Messiah would come back, and he would come through Jerusalem, and specifically the temple of Jerusalem, and it, it would be like, 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 like a river that would flow out, and we'll read about this. They read about it. this river that would flow out, and then it would ga- he would be gathering all the nations. You think the gospel is for all the nations is a New Testament idea? Nope. This has always been God's idea, that through God's people, he would reach nations. So there's these 70 bull sacrifices representing the nations. The, the other thing is there's two key elements, two key celebrations that would happen during this Sukkot. Sukkot was supposed to be seven days long. It was a week, plus it would start with a Sabbath. So it was eight days. It would start and end with a Sabbath, right? And the last day was called the Great Day. It was a solemn assembly. If you ever read through Nehemiah, they had lost their temple, and when he reconstructs the wall and Ezra is reconstructing it, they, the first thing they do, uh, they read the scriptures, and they, and they read about Sukkot, and they celebrate it. They celebrate Sukkot as their first act of kind of redeeming Jewish tradition. And, and on, on Sukkot, one of the things, even back in Nehemiah's day, is they had a thing called the daily water uh, celebration. The daily... Water ceremony. And basically what this looked like was, they would start in in the court of women where, where, where all the celebration was, and they would have a procession with a bunch of priests. And you got to just imagine, imagine a Disneyland parade. They would line up on the road, everybody, would just to see this procession walk by. It was a huge deal. And they would have this gold pitcher, right? And it was very ornate, made of pure gold, a, a, like a water pitcher, but just like very like, you know, specific and designed and they would walk with this procession and all these priests and they had a choir and they would be singing the whole time celebrating it people are waving their lulavs palm branches they're lining up in their in their in their sukkahs right along the road you just imagine it's like this huge festival they would walk all the way down to the pool of siloam it's the original the only source of water when they first got to jerusalem and it was from god that's what they believed. It was God's source of life, the pool of Siloam. They would go down and they would dip, the priest would dip the pitcher in the water and they would read every single day Isaiah twelve three. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people, proclaim that, the, that his name is exalted, and they would pick up this water, and everybody would cheer, right? And, and, and there was s- some significance to this, p- this symbol of water. Water on, on, on Sukkot, it symbolized, first of all, the Lord's provision. Sukkot always happened in so- September or October. It's when we would have a harvest f- festival. It's harvest time. And they would celebrate, and, and they believed that Sukkot was a time when God would bless, and He would bless for the, for the harvest now. It was a time for now. It was a time of God's provision here on earth, celebrating that we live in these tabernacles, frailty, but that God is our source of provision, and that He, he celebrates. Also, they would remember back when they would go through the wilderness, and they were living in these, in these, in these tents, and God was dwelling among them, and they would run out of water. All the times that, that that God would use Moses, and Moses would hit the rock and provide water for them when they thought they were going to die. Right? It's a time of provision. It also represented a future hope. It represented the pouring out of God's Spirit on all nations. So it was provision now. And it was a future prophetic time when they would every time in the Old Testament you hear. And on that day, on that day, they believed that there was a day coming, and there was a Messiah coming, and that there was a Messianic era coming, and it was that day was going to be a great day, and God would pour out His Spirit. And this idea of water represented the pouring out of God's Spirit. When they would get down and they would fill up the water, you always think, like, what were they singing? Very specifically, they were singing the Psalms of Hallel. The songs of Hillel, are, are, we still have them today. There's Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are the songs, the Psalms of Hillel. We li- when we think of the Psalms, we think David wrote the Psalms or David collected them. Actually, the rabbis believed that these were songs that were, were, were written and sung all the way back from the time of Moses. But what David did was he actually organized them and put them in there in Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, the songs of Hillel. And they would sing that they would have, they would have a professional choir that was trained would train all year round. Uh, Sukkot is coming, we better you know like we we would pr- do some band practice and they would go down. They would sing these songs. Now in Hebrew they made sense as songs. When you read them, it's like it's hard to figure out like how do you turn that into a song? Well, in Hebrew it, re- it really they were they were very they were very set to song. And I always wondered like what kind of music did it did this this come does it sound like right? And I want to in my head. That's probably not true. But I want to like, like imagine like beatboxing. And, because here's the thing. The Beastie Boys were Jewish, right? <laughs> I thought maybe, but, that, but it's probably not where they got it. It's probably nothing like that. But that's what I like to do in my head. They're cruising down to some like some Psalms of Beastie Boys. But it's not like that at all. And they're singing these Psalms of Hella. You can read them this week. Psalm 113 to 118. They would, there's all kinds of sim, uh, symbol, symbolism. They would pick up this water. They would proceed all the way back the same way, and then it would be a second time everyone would cheer, right? You get to see them twice. And then they would walk into the court of women, and they would end with Psalm 118 every day. And they would sing it. I'm just going to give you some, some excerpts. I'm not going to sing it unless someone wants to beatbox. If someone wants a beatbox, I might. They would sing, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his his steadfast love endures forever. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Sukkah. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Matthew 21, Jesus says, that's me, I'm, the, I'm them. And Peter says it again in Acts 4. From, that's from Psalm 118. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He says, save us, we pray, O Lord. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And as the choir would, would finish singing this in Hebrew, all of the people would wave their lulaves. They would wave their palm branches. And they would shout three times, Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. It represented give thanks to the Lord for the way he provides for us here and now. That's what it meant to them. Give thanks to the Lord. And then they would shake their lulav. And you have to imagine all of these people shaking their palm branches. The rabbis said it was such a beautiful sound. It sounded like rain coming down on the earth. When they would do it, it sounded just like a fresh rain. And they're all filled with joy, filled with celebration. And they would shout as they shook this, We beseech, O Lord, please save. We beseech, O Lord, please save. But they had one word that meant all of that. It was Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They would sing. And then the priest would take this water and he would pour it into a metal bowl. And he would take a ceremonial uh, flask of wine and he would pour it into another metal bowl. And then together he would pour it out as a drink offering to the Lord. And it was the water celebration every day. They would celebrate this way, and then they would read scriptures that had to do with Sukkot. That's just one symbol of, of imagine you it's, it's, it's like it's Christmas time, and, and, and you know, all of the symbols that we have, the songs that we sing, they're familiar, right? Those are Christmas songs. That's how Jewish people thought, oh, that's a Sukkot song, right? Oh, that's a symbol of Sukkot. We have Christmas trees. They had palm branch, right? And they had another thing. We like Christmas trees, But they had a lighting ceremony as well during Sukkot. It was called the Lighting of the Lamps. And it took place in the center of this court of women. And it was four humongous lamps, 70 feet high. Picture that in your head. 70 feet high. How did they do that back then without cranes? I don't know. (laughs) 70 feet high. And there was four of them. And each one of them had four big, big, huge chambers in it that would hold oil. And, the, and then in the oil, they would have the young priests in training climb up these huge ladders, he said, and just pour liters of oil. And it would take a long time to set up for this, you can imagine. And then they would take all of their old priestly garments because they were considered holy. And when they were done with them, they would save them and they would cut them and they would, they would braid them and they made them into the wicks. That's where these lamps were. And, 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 and at the first night of Sukkot, one of the ceremonies was to light these lamps. Think of the Olympics. Think of the lighting of the torch. It was a big deal. And they would light these lamps. 16 huge bowlfuls, 70 feet in the air. And the rabbi said, if you've never seen this, it's a wonder to behold. It would, it would literally light up all of the temple and most of Jerusalem with these lamps. You ever, you ever seen candlelight? How beautiful it is. Imagine candlelight over with these huge things over a whole city just flickering all week. It would have been like if you're a kid, it was just magical. And that's the context we're in. Some significant things that these, these Jewish people would have thought about when they lit this, this lamp and the things that they would have read. The light, the light, it represents the Lord's salvation. And they would read Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The light represented that God was with them. He was their salvation. It also represented guidance through this tough life. Is life hard? It's always been hard. But it represented God's uh, guidance through this tough life. And they would read Isaiah forty-two, sixteen. And I will lead the blind in a way they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. The rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. So it represented salvation and guidance. It also represented the source of true spiritual health. That's what it represented to these these Jewish people. In Leviticus chapter 23 is when it describes Sukkot. The very next next passage is, is Leviticus chapter 24, because it's at the end. Leviticus 24, Moses said this. He said, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony, in the tent of meetings, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. So every day they would have the lamp. During Sukkot, they would light up the city with the lamp. It represented this, this, th- that God was flickering within you. That God's light was within you. This is such a big image that in Revelation chapter 2, Paul uh, 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 Jesus warns through John that the church he said if you guys don't return to your first love your lamp will go out your source of spiritual health we're supposed to constantly be every day tending to our lamp our spiritual health that's always been the case for God's people so you have all of these these ceremony, you can imagine, seven days long, right? You have these water ceremony every day, every night. You're flickering with these lights. They're reading passages, two of the main passages, and then, and then we'll get into our uh, what Jesus says. Hopefully, I know this is taking a long time, but, but my hope is that this will make a lot of sense to you as you see what Jesus says in this context. One of the key uh, verses in, 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 in a first century uh, Judaism For Sukkot was Zechariah 14, 6 through 9. It says, on that day. Remember, if you're Jewish, on that day means the messianic era. The time when the Messiah comes back and fixes everything. On that day there shall be no light, cold or frost. And there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord. What does Jesus keep saying? My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. He's referencing this. It's a it's known to the Lord the day, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. There was a thought and and, and it actually got picked up on in the New Testament that God's love is as far as the east is the west he's saying that this living water will flow from jerusalem and it will flow out as far as the east is to the west to all the nations as an ingathering. that was the way they they thought and the lord will be king over the earth do they keep wanting to make jesus king this is why and the lord will be king over all the earth on that day the lord will be one and his name one What do you hear in there? Living water, the water ceremony, and a light that will shine, right? This lighting of the ceremony. This is a very Sukkot-driven text, or at least their idea of Sukkot was driven by this text. In Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, during one of the water ceremonies, usually they say on the last of the water ceremonies, the last day, uh, they would read this passage from Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. They would say, Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Remember, they're in they're in with all of these money changing where, where, they, where, the, where they would give their offering. If you have no money, come eat. They said, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do, you, why do you do things that aren't filling you up with life? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. You would have read this on the last day. Let's get back to our text in John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast. They're in the, Jesus is in the, the court of women. All these things have been happening. If you're there, I don't know if you've ever been to a significant celebration that was long and then it was the last day. And, and you're thinking, uh, one, of how full you are from, from the things you've experienced during this, this ceremony or this retreat or this camp. But you're also reminded that, that soon you will be going back to real life. All these things had to have been going on on the last day of the feast. The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Is he just randomly making up stuff? Oh, living water! He's speaking, he's saying, I am the fulfillment of Sukkot. You've been celebrating all week, literally all your lives, you've been celebrating. I'm here. He quotes from Isaiah 55, but he just personalizes it. If anybody is thirsty, come and drink. In Isaiah 55, you have no money. You have nothing to offer. Come, drink freely. He, he, he gets to the heart of it. He goes, why, why not? Why do you keep doing things that don't satisfy you? When I'm here, I am what will satisfy you. He says this. Some of the things that are, are particularly interesting. He says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, that if is a big deal, right? Not, not, not if you thirst. Is anybody ever gone without water for more than a week? You're a liar, right? Because you'd be dead. Everybody thirsts. Everybody thirsts. That's the point. Everybody thirsts. But does everybody here drink enough water? No, like some of you guys drink way too much Diet Coke. Just don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Some of you guys are living off of like 12 cups of coffee a day, right? Or you never drink water until you're like, you're like feel thirsty. And they say when you feel thirsty, you're already beginning to be dehydrated. Anyone ever been dehydrated? Just feel weak, almost like you have the flu. We all thirst. We all have need. But he goes, if, if you recognize it. He's drawing from Isaiah, are you filling yourself with things that don't really satisfy your thirst with your life? Or are, are, do you recognize you are thirsty? Have you ever had Thanksgiving dinner? And uh, I've made this mistake a few times. I never try to, but usually we eat at like four, and I, it just messes me up. Because I get like super hungry, and, and my wife knows I get hangry. Okay, let's just be honest. I start getting a little grumpy if I don't eat. And I just eat a little bit, and there's usually, like, I don't eat a whole meal, so I eat, like, a couple olives to start with, and then the salt gets in there, and then it's like, you know, what comes next? Obviously, chips, right? <laughs> and then, and before you know it, I get to Thanksgiving. And I love Thanksgiving, and I'm not even hungry anymore. How often do we do that in our lives? So we have thirst, but we go to all these things that don't really totally satisfy us, but they kind of just kind of quench our thirst a little bit, but they don't satisfy our thirst. In life. And Jesus is pointing out this deep reality, this deep spiritual reality. If you realize you have a need right now, listen. He goes, Let them come to me and drink. You gotta come to him and drink. Here's something that I've learned: everybody gets overwhelmed sometimes. Everybody. Some people, it's big things, some people it's a little thing. Everybody gets overwhelmed overwhelmed sometimes that's just being human it's life but it's where you run that makes the big difference some people run to destructive things some people run to things that maybe they're not destructive but they're they're numbing right they're distracting they distract you from the real issues that are going on within you but if you realize you're thirsty come And the offer is from Isaiah 55 is come and and, and you don't have to have anything. You can't have anything. There's nothing you there's there's you don't you don't offer anything in this. You come and you drink and find the inspiration of authentic life. Living water will flow out from you. It will flow out from you. Remember, they believed that the living water would flow out from Jerusalem, from the temple, so deep, the rabbis literally thought, they would say this, if the nations knew how important the temple was to their own blessing, they would all rally to protect it all the time. They believed the temple was so important because this this future blessing was going to come forth out of the temple. What does Jesus say to us? You're the temple. We're the temple. And the Holy Spirit comes in us, and it flows out from us, the people of God. That's what he's saying. In Ezekiel 47.9, this is one of the texts they would have read during Sukkot. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. Isn't that interesting that Jesus goes to fishermen and he says, Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. He says, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Jesus speaks this in front of this crowd. They all grumble about it. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. And they start asking him questions, and then he answers the questions. And then in, in, in the beginning of chapter 8, right? it's not in the original manuscripts. We looked at that last week. So the very next thing, Jesus makes this statement. They grumble about it, and then he makes another statement. And let's turn to uh, chapter 8, in verse 12. <laughs> Jesus stands up again as if he, he hasn't been bold enough, and he yells out again. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you imagine how significant that was after a week of the flickering of the light and just enjoying the light? And here Jesus goes, I'm the light of the world. A light that would have shined all, all over Jerusalem and flickered over all of Jerusalem. He said, I'm greater than that light. I'm going to flicker over the whole world. Significant in this is 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 is, is these three things, and we'll have the worship team come back up. That salvation is found in Jesus alone. He says, I am the light of the world. He's referring to Psalm 27 where he says, You are our light and our salvation. I am the I'm the salvation that the light represents to you. I am the light of the world. I am the only I am I am salvation is found in Christ alone. And then, he invi- then there's an invite, right? The invite is to follow Jesus and not walk in darkness. Follow Jesus and not walk in darkness. What does it look like to walk in darkness? We'll try to unpack it for you for, for, for my journey in my life. The times when I've been walking in darkness, there was a time in my life where I bought this bumper sticker and it, and it became a life motto, follow your heart. I would follow my heart. And literally, I, I didn't just say, I'm going to follow my heart. I just do whatever I wanted to. Just do what you want to. Do what feels good. Do what you think will make you happy. Grab on to satisfy yourself with everything that is going to make you happy. It's walking in darkness. You don't think it is at the time, but anybody ever walk through a season of life making your own choices and realize later those were bad choices? Because your, your heart doesn't always lead you the right way, your heart gets broken your heart gets hurt. We talk about things like, oh, he had a hard heart. When you have a hard heart, it's it's probably not a very good leader, right? When you have a broken heart, it's probably not a very good leader. That's why uh, one woman will go and she'll get, she'll have a broken heart and then she has a rebound, right? She tries to fix it with a new new relationship. It's, we, we consider that unhealthy and we do that in all aspects of life. He's saying, don't follow your heart, follow me, Even more ashamedly sometimes in my life, even today, I'm not following my heart. I'm just following the crowd. I'm just doing what everyone else does or what I think is, you know, we, we know what this is like. We follow the crowd. Jesus is like, don't do that anymore. It doesn't lead to life. Follow me is the is 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 his is his invite. Follow me freely. Come to me and drink freely. Follow me. And then following Jesus leads to authentic life. He says, follow me. They will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. They will have the light of life. Life represents the meaning of life for some people. I'm in the search for the meaning of life. It represents purpose. It represents those deep places within you that have questions, that have hurts, that have broken, that you don't know how to get access to. And he literally says, if you're thirsty, Come to me. That's the answer. And what I'll do is I'll begin to, 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 to fill you, to give you life, to light your lamp. I'll light your lamp so much that rivers of, of, of water, living water, will flow out of you. What does that look like? It looks like your life begins to, to be inspired by Jesus. You ever, you ever uh, heard a song that was just inspired by something deep? Like a dell. Right. Or, or these people that we, we really or you see a, a piece of art. Right. And you go wonder what inspired that your inspiration literally becomes God, becomes the Holy Spirit coming out of you. It becomes what we like to call organic. Right. We like or are authentic. We like the word authentic. Doesn't like some of you guys authentic doesn't mean wood panel like reclaimed wood. It literally means something real that comes from somewhere deep and real. And God says, let me be that deep. As we prepare to worship, I have one question. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Because I believe this offer is still on the table. And what would it look like for you to come right now to Jesus?